I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, August 6th, 2013. And I'm Jim Pullen. Coming up, we learn why banning cigarettes at the casinos in Gilpin County reduces 911 calls for ambulances. When you made the casino smoke-free, not only did you clean up the air, make it a nicer place to go and to work, you sent fewer people to the hospital. And we hear from CU Boulder how to make hydrogen fuel with sunshine and mirrors. Hydrogen, the energy of our future. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. The CU-led MAVEN mission spacecraft has arrived at the Florida launch site where it's now being double and triple tested for flight readiness. The MAVEN mission will focus on understanding the Martian atmosphere, targeting the role that the loss of atmospheric gases to space played in changing the climate through time. That's according to CU Boulder professor Bruce Joukowsky of the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics, who's the principal investigator for the MAVEN project. The surface of Mars currently includes what looks like dry lakes and riverbeds. Plus, Mars soil contains minerals that form only in the presence of water. Joukowsky says that all this suggests that Mars once had a much denser atmosphere that supported liquid water on the surface. In fact, Mars might have been Earth-like roughly 4 billion years ago. The MAVEN mission hopes to find out how the Martian climate changed, where the water went, and what happened to the atmosphere. Now that the spaceship is in Florida, the next big step will be the launch toward Mars. That's slated for November. One way to smoke less just might be to meditate. That's according to a new study from the University of Oregon, which found that smokers who were randomly assigned to get five hours of meditation training during a two-week period reduced their smoking by 60% and displayed increased activity in a brain area related to self-control. A similar number of smokers were given relaxation training. Their smoking habits remained unchanged. The study has been published this week by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And in other smoking-related news, it turns out that the ban on smoking up at Central City and Blackhawk casinos has not only reduced secondhand smoke, but it's reduced the number of 911 calls for ambulances. A new study in this week's journal, Circulation, reports that ambulance calls to casinos in Gilpin County, Colorado, fell about 20% after smoking was banned. For more, here's the study's lead author, Stanton Glantz, director of the Center for Tobacco Control, Research, and Education. It turns out that in Colorado, the ambulance service keeps track of whether the calls come from casinos or not. And what we found was that in Colorado, after the state put in place its strong smoke-free law with an exemption for casinos, there was a 20% drop in ambulance calls everywhere but casinos. Two years later, when the law was extended to casinos, there was a corresponding 20% drop there. What this shows is that the effects of secondhand smoke in terms of triggering medical emergencies occur and resolve quite quickly. While Colorado's doing great at making casinos smoke-free, 
the rest of the country where they're generally exempted means that they're sending people to the hospital. Colorado's smoke-free casinos are an unusual thing in the United States. Some states have smoke-free casinos, but most seem to exempt them. And there's also a great problem with casinos on tribal lands where very few of them are smoke-free. A 20% drop in ambulance calls is quite a lot. It's an amazingly big effect, although it's consistent with earlier research that has shown that when you pass strong smoking restrictions, you get drops in hospital admissions of around 20% for heart attacks, other heart problems, strokes, asthma, and other pulmonary problems. So in a way, what we found looking at the ambulance calls in Gilpin County were about what you would expect based on the earlier literature, but it's still pretty amazing. You know, the decision to allow smoking in casinos means you're sending people to the hospital right away. It's It's not something that takes months or years to see. It occurs right away. Not only the people who smoke themselves, but the people breathing secondhand smoke, the innocent bystanders. Secondhand smoke is an important cause of heart disease and heart attacks and asthma attacks, and that's probably what we're seeing, although we don't have the specific diagnoses for the people that where the calls are being generated. So, uh, you know, some of the effect is people being exposed to less secondhand smoke. Some of the effect may well be the fact that the smokers can't smoke while they're in the casino. While it takes a long time to develop cancer, If you smoke, uh, a lot of the bad effects on the blood and blood vessels and things that could trigger heart attacks and strokes occur within a few minutes. Does that intrigue you that this is a change in law that's affecting people's health? That's why we have laws. We've known for a long time that secondhand smoke has a big immediate effect on blood and blood vessels in ways that are intimately tied to risk of immediate risk of triggering a heart attack or a stroke. And what this is showing is that those biological effects that have been observed are being manifest in a very real way in terms of when you made the casino smoke-free, not only did you clean up the air, make it a nicer place to go and to work, you sent fewer people to the hospital. And at a time when everyone is concerned about containing health care costs, Sending 20% fewer people to the emergency room, that's important, both from a health point of view and an economic point of view. That was Shelley Schlender and Stan Glatz. Stan Glatz directs the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education in California. His study about smoking bans up in Gilpin County casinos and in the reduction of ambulance calls has just appeared in the journal Circulation. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jim Pullen. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. I'm Shelley Schlender. With me is Chris Muick, a Ph.D. student at CU Boulder. 
who knows a lot about hydrogen and is planning to do something that is really the holy grail of hydrogen technology, which is to try to turn it into energy that we could even use in our cars. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Shelley. Thanks for having me. Well, how about this? I mean, hydrogen is the basis of fuel for everything, really. The sun is hydrogen? Yeah, the the sun is made of hydrogen, and it's kind of going through a different route than we're going through. So the sun is actually going through a fission process, whereby, or I'm sorry, a fusion process, whereby the hydrogen nuclei fuse together and form helium gas. But, but oh. nonetheless, they eat hydrogen. The sun yeah, eats exactly. hydrogen. The hun is, sun is eating hydrogen. And and then when we eat, are we eating hydrogen in the end, you know? So we're, we're kind of along those lines. We're having to actually, um, we're breaking down hydrogen-carbon bonds, carbon-carbon bonds, but it's all kind of interrelated. So what we're doing is instead of taking the energy from the sunlight, which is driven by hydrogen fusion, we're actually taking that energy and turning it into chemical chemical bonds that we can then use later. So we're basically taking the energy from the sunlight and storing it in um atomic batteries that we can then use as we want later. And so hydrogen fuels everything. It it fueled the Hindenburg, that big <laughs> that big thing that burned up. So it, it people have tried for a long time to use it as a fuel. Well, so so the Hindenburg was actually using the hydrogen as basically just a lifting device. So, you know, when you kind of are sitting underwater and you blow bubbles and the bubbles rise to the surface, the, basically the Hindenburg was trying to do the same thing. But instead of air and water, they were trying to use... Um, hydrogen in, in air. What we're doing is a little bit different. We're trying to, instead of using it just as a lifting mechanism, we're using that hydrogen, or the plan would be to use the hydrogen to drive um, drive electricity, either for our lights, you know, drive a car, even to things making the um, uh, the fertilizer for the food we eat. Well, and so let's step back a little bit and talk just a bit about how you're doing this, because you've got this proof-of-concept device that's about as big as an oven that has right. mirrors in it and mm -hmm. sunlight and poof, you make hydrogen out of what? Uh, just sunlight and water. That's the amazing thing. Um, we have a little catalyst in there that we'll get into in a second, but the idea is basically um, we're taking the sunlight and we're concentrating it really, uh, really, really highly concentrating it. So just like you might take a magnifying glass and light a leaf on fire, we're basically doing the same thing. But instead of being destructive, we're actually generating hydrogen gas from it. Although we want to tell any child listening right now that if they do this, <laughs> they need to have their parents nearby. That's right. <laughs> but, but yes, it works. It works just to take sunlight and concentrate it. You can yeah. generate heat. And so what we're basically doing is instead of generating the few hundred degrees C that you might need to light paper or a leaf on fire, we're going to um, 12 to 1500 degrees C. So basically what and, we and end up... And 12 to 1500 degrees centigrade is yeah. how much Fahrenheit? So that's 12, uh, I'm sorry, 2500 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot enough so, to melt things. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're talking about melting steel, melting many, melting titanium, melting many of the you know common metals that you'll see around the house. So when we do this, we do these in very special reactors that actually end up glowing bright orange to bright yellow, depending on exactly how hot we're getting. Okay, so I'm picturing you have a proof-of-concept device that you're using there at CU Boulder to make hydrogen. Mm -hmm. and, and and it's about as big as an oven, and inside of it are a whole bunch of mirrors exactly. that are focused together kind of like they're 
supplicants looking for God in the middle, <laughs> and 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 all of the light goes toward the middle. Yeah, exactly right. And so, um, where all the light is coming towards the middle, that's called the focal point. And so that's where all of the all of the energy of the sun is getting packed down into a really really small area. So all the energy of the sun that's basically hitting the mirrors is being concentrated from you know a meter squared or two meters or in industrial settings acres of of sunlight and it's all getting concentrated down into you know um maybe uh, a few square inches and so all of that heat is basically coming in at one point and it's able to heat up the reactor to these exceedingly high temperatures well chris Munich, i bet you don't stick your hand in the middle of this thing <laughs> no you can't even get close and your hand starts to recoil just because it's just so so hot and and how come you need this very very intense heat to turn water into hydrogen so that's an excellent question so right so all molecular bonds as you heat them up start vibrating and they start shaking apart and so it's basically like if you and a dance partner are dancing around and the music gets faster and faster and you start spinning around and around eventually if the music gets so fast or the temperature gets so hot you start breaking apart with your dance partner. So that's basically what we're trying to get the water to do. So you can do that directly. So you can either, um, you know, take it up to even hotter temperatures than what we take it up and just have what's called thermolysis. So the water breaking apart all on its own. What we go through is several, we go through two um, smaller reactions that end up breaking the water up. And this allows us to only have to take it up to 2,500 degrees only 2,500. Sorry, 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit rather than the, um, you know, 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit that we would need just to shake it apart. Okay, so you're shaking it apart with a catalyst so you exactly. don't have to use way too much heat. Right. And then you have H2O. Let's see, that's hydrogen and oxygen. Okay, mm -hmm. so that the oxygen goes poof into the atmosphere. How do you catch the hydrogen? So, so what we're actually doing is it's a two-step process. So in the first step, we take it up to that... Um, 2,500 degrees C. Uh, this, sorry, we take our metal oxide, so basically rust, up to that 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And when that happens, just like I was describing earlier, the iron and the oxygen start shaking apart, and we start losing oxygen into the into the reactor, and we pull it off. So we're either using a vacuum, or we're just using an inert sweep gas. So basically, just something that'll blow, just like you'll blow the steam off your coffee, um, that'll just blow the produced oxygen away. So you poof it. You so go yeah, poof, poof. Yeah, we go. We we slowly just have these oxygens, oxygen molecules streaming off the iron oxide. And, and how about the hydrogen? How are you kind so of then, grabbing yeah. it? Yeah. And then in the second step, what we do is we inject steam into the system. And so that oxygen, or sorry, those iron atoms that had just lost their oxygen kind of dancing partners, wants an oxygen dancing partner again. So it pulls the oxygen atom out of the water, leaving just the two hydrogen atoms to um, go off on their own. And so we actually get the oxygen in one step and the hydrogen in a second step. And by you know, hmm. basically we can, you know, kind of divert which way the gas is going. And so we have oxygen going one way and hydrogen going the other way and we it, can collect it. It sounds like you use almost all of the different stages of things. You use the element of metal to be the thing that gets the reaction going. And exactly. then once it's hot enough, you use water and you use water to suck the hydrogen to separate out the hydrogen. Well, yeah. So the so the hydrogen atoms are bonded to the oxygen, and so we use the we use the metal both to the metal is basically acting as an oxygen holder, like a hold place. So the metal is able to pull the oxygen out of the water molecule, and then in um, when there isn't water around, then that 
iron gives off gives the oxygen back into the system. So you've got this whole system like this, and the amazing thing is that you're making a fuel. Hydrogen is flammable. You can use it to run cars. You can use it to run all kinds of things. And you make it out of water. Yeah. Well, that's what water is. Water is a combination of hydrogen and oxygen. And so what we're doing is we're taking... We're basically taking a low-energy molecule and turning it into two high-energy molecules. And then you capture and stabilize them again in some so, way. Yeah, so we by keeping them away from each other, um, they're basically stable, right? Because if, if the hydrogen is sitting all by itself, it has no nothing to react with. It has no way to give up that energy. Well, that's right. If you have two high-energy dancing partners and you take them apart, exactly. you, there's not going to be much hanky-panky right. going exactly. on for a while. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. Yeah, so the key is how can you... So this process is really just a way to separate those two dancing partners. And then you take the hydrogen and you sequester it and you concentrate it down into... I've seen those hydrogen tanks that are full right. of liquid hydrogen. Yeah. So so that's kind of the down process stream. And so we have, there's lots of different ways that we've found to kind of store hydrogen. So there's the way that you were talking about, Shelley, where you actually compress into a liquid. And so then you have liquid hydrogen, which is easily storable. And then there's lots of other ways that people are investigating, such as storing the hydrogen in different um, Membranes, different types of of materials that are basically just kind of like a sponge for hydrogen. And then all we would do is from this process, we would, you know, give the pipe the hydrogen somewhere, and then they would either compress it down, or they would take the hydrogen and put it into these membranes, or you could use it directly on site to generate electricity. Where where are the ways that you you imagine that this hydrogen would be used? Could it be that we would finally have hydrogen powered cars? Absolutely. Um, that is one of the most straightforward ways that we could use hydrogen, just basically put it in the cars and then have the cars run on a fuel cell, which is a very, very efficient way to um, gain power from chemical bonds. So that's kind of the most straightforward way, but we could also use it in a more traditional way, so generating electricity for the power grid, um, either by fuel cell or traditional um, gas turbines. We could use it many, many chemical processes um, Use use this use hydrogen gas. So there's lots of ways to use hydrogen gas once you get it. Right. And that's the key so is the to get it. The tricky part is to getting it. The tricky part is so tricky that this really hasn't been done very much. I mean, it's it's this wonderfully energy efficient and clean fuel because when you burn hydrogen, you basically just make moisture again. You right. make you steam. Get, you get you get the the energy that you had kind of put in, or you just get the the ingredients you put into there. Energy in our case, heat. And water. It sounds like the Holy Grail. I mean, it's just <laughs> it so perfect. But but it isn't that easy to do. You've got this little oven-sized thing that mm-hmm. is doing this. Yeah. And it really is doing this. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're what we're actually monitoring is we can actually look at the H2 and the O2 production curves as we're heating it up, injecting steam, not injecting steam. So we actually get these really pretty. Um, kind of curves uh, that come across the screen on our computers we're, as we're actually carrying out these reactions. Okay, so you, you're seeing that it's happening. How big of a plant would you need to give everybody in Boulder hydrogen for their cars? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So um, you would need a very large plant. So what we're kind of envisioning is what's called a power tower setup. Um, so um, these power plants have been built in what's called concentrated solar thermal power and where they generate 
electricity in general. But and, what this and, is, and let's back up and talk okay. about that mm-hmm. because this it's a similar concept. Concentrated solar power is where there's lots of lines of mirrors mm-hmm. that all are kind of shaped so that they focus heat on a pipe that has salt water in it, and then the pipe gets hot, and then the pipe takes all of that heat to the turbine and turns it into steam and then turns the turbine. And right. It, why not just do that? That so, sounds easier. So so that's called a parabolic trough yes. concentrated solar mm-hmm. power. But um, that's just one of the three or four different ways that you can do concentrated power. But to get back to your point of why, why not just do um, concentrated um, solar power generation, uh, it's because you actually end up having to take several steps. So you're still using, you're still using an inefficient... Um, electricity producing cycle. So you're still taking that steam and going through either Carnot or Rankin or different types of cycles, which only end up being 30% efficient. So only 30% efficient to take the heat from the sun to turn it into the pipe thing that that goes to the turbine and turns the turbine. There's that thing called the second law of thermodynamics. (laughs) And every stage. Every stage there, you're you're starting to lose, lose, lose efficiency. And so what you like about this other concept is you you cut out all the uh, middlemen. Right. And go straight to the energy that's needed for something else. You, you go straight. You go straight, and you put that energy into chemical bonds, and so that allows you to do two different things. One, you can store that energy over the long term, which is more difficult to do with um, thermal energy. Well, that's two, right, because because if you have heat from warming up pipes, then heat tends to want to get dissipate. back. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't have to do that because once you've broken the dance partners apart, the hydrogen and the oxygen, you just have the to hydrogen just sits there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and so the second thing that you have to be, um, think about in addition to going through those multiple steps is every, um, you know, the, the traditional ways of generating power are really inefficient as compared to, um, a, a fuel cell, which is about 80% efficient. We're able to, or sorry, um, concentrated solar thermal, which um, just generates electricity uh, directly, you may be 20% efficient, whereas with a fuel cell, you can be up to 80% with your hydrogen. That's very efficient. And you've described that to help out Boulder in this way, you'd need a 20-story high building as big as Fairview High School, including the football field. So you're talking big. Big. So what would likely end up happening is instead of putting it directly in Boulder, we would probably put this in the Mojave Desert or, you know, other deserts around the world where land is just freely, pretty much freely available and there's nothing there. And, and you keep people from walking into the exactly. middle of it. <laughs> so so there'd be a way to keep all of the birds and stuff yeah. away from that center's point that gets so darn hot. No bird feeders in the middle. No. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for explaining it. It is an intriguing concept that you have here. And... Um, Good luck with this. Well, thanks, Shelley, for having me. Yes, and so I'm just curious about one more thing, and that is how soon before the big ones? <laughs> um, that's probably 10, 15 years off. In science terms, that's not very far, actually. If everything goes right. If everything goes right. <laughs> <laughs> and this actually could happen. Could it be cheaper it than um, natural gas once it gets going? It, it has the potential. Um, right now, we're just having a ton of natural gas um, just because the licensing fees, we're, we're not really taking um, carbon for its real costs. But someday, this someday. might be more fuel efficient and less expensive. Absolutely. And you do it with mirrors and sunshine. Yep. Thank you. Chris, Bu- Chris Muick is with uh, CU Boulder in engineering, making an amazing new device that someday we may use to make hydrogen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
edition of How on Earth. This week's show was produced by Shelly Schlender. Thank you, Shelly. Executive producer is Susan Moran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Slow Blow, the song Secondhand Smoke. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. And I'm Jim Pullen.